Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Addled by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 22 Before an Open Archway Then I was flying over the temple of the Queen of the Universe, its golden slated roof shimmering and sparking like a liquid fire below me. Then, following a gentle, playful lurch in the music, my flight altered and I circled the temple once, marvelling at its great blue-veined marble columns, before wafting through its portico and into the gloomy, sacred space beyond. Past byres, burning embers and incense, I wafted, the faint, shifting splotches of light giving occasional illumination to cluttered votive offerings, statues, chairs, candlesticks, tripods, even a small, blunt-nosed spacecraft. Castanets clicked and clacked once more, speeding me on to the rear of the temple and a great oak door that swung open, revealing a blear of electric light. The stairwell that led down into the great honeycomb of the temple's archive. There, in countless vaults and grottos, rested 1,200 years of artefacts, manuscripts, commentaries, paintings, treaties, trophies, secrets and sorrows stretching back to Emperor de Mauve, sole ruler of a once united Enfeshka, all protected by the Queen of the Universe, the Mother Goddess. If she ever took the time to peruse all those hidden wonders, doubtless she would find herself with plenty of salacious tales to delight her fellow deities. My own archive would certainly give the gods much to muse over, bringing tears one moment, belly-aching laughter the next, then shakes of the head and intakes of breath and exclamations of, no, impossible. Down the stairwell I drifted, gentle as a feather, until finally my feet touched the floor. The music was softer now, a careful, hesitant even, aching exhalation of oboe and violin. And yet I found myself looking at a cheerful scene, a tableau vivant consisting of two men, one with his head tilted upwards and grinning, the other with his shoulders raised in a shrug. They stood before an open archway that had not yet been smeared with a paste of honey and myrrh 
to preserve its contents, nor decorated with dry nettles to turn away curses and demons. Beyond the archway, I could see a white-washed room. The music faded to a whisper of regret, but the regret did not touch me. Rather, I was filled with curiosity, for I recognised those two handsome and confident men. The shrugger was Iftik, looking for all the galaxy like a young, carefree student, a thick mop of hair covering the dent in his head, his features merrily bemused. The other was myself, not as young as Iftik, but still youthful enough in my early thirties. I walked between the two of them, and then around them, smiling in wonder. I was tempted to touch the face of my younger self, it seemed so smooth and healthy, and yet feared that if I did so, the scene would vanish. I turned to the young Iftik, bent forward and whispered in his ear, like the haircut. I turned and looked into the white-walled room, but did not step through the archway. Instead, I stood looking, looking and remembering the day Iftek and I had taken all the evidence of my former life and offered them to the care of the Mother Goddess. It was a day of confidence and resolution. The peninsula had been shaped to Iftek's and I's design. My position was secure, my future free of shadows. Once the archive was filled, I was determined never to return. It seemed I had arrived at the moment when the task was nearing completion. There in neat piles were all the fragments of my life before my return to Enfeshka. On the floor, a tattered copy of The Life of Saint Ashu, a hagiography of the long-dead holy man that served as both a salve and steamy entertainment and which set me off on one of my more perilous adventures. The pamphlet, as befitting a holy personage who never did what he was supposed to, had slipped from a pile of books and documents. On top of these rested a rare first edition of Herr Shalik's most famous poem, The Ballad of Captain Errol, a masterpiece of lyrical arse-licking that gave a fine account of Iftek and I in its The Broken Dozen Who Dared sequence. Thinking of Captain Errol, my mood darkened, and my gaze moved to the far wall, where, sure enough, the sword I once briefly and bloodily brandished hung, its blade sharp enough to cut into glittering shreds the light that touched it. I succeeded in pulling my gaze from the sword, 
only to find myself staring at the great wooden trunk that contained more personal and painful memories. The absence of music was disquieting now. The silence as thick as the sap that swallows and traps careless insects. But I refused to be trapped. Clenching my fists and gasping aloud, I turned around, almost stumbling into that younger version of myself. A sense of horror had replaced my earlier wonder. There should be nothing here to threaten me, and yet my heart was pounding, battering my ribs like a caged animal. I almost screamed when laughter erupted from the mouth of my younger self. That's it done, Ifdeck, the young me said. What'd you say we go relax now? Sounds like a plan, Mr Marcus. But, said Ifdeck with a shrug, are you sure there's nothing you want to take from the archive before it's sealed? My younger self frowned, raised his left hand, I raised my hand too, and for the briefest of seconds I could see there the wedding ring I once wore, a simple wooden band with thin veins of gold. Then it was gone, sealed forever in the sacred archive. Oh, Numa, I whispered, pressing my hands against my chest. I looked to my younger self, certain his reaction would conform precisely to my older self. Instead, he shook his ringless left hand, flexed his fingers. No whiff, Dick, he said. Today I begin my new life. After all I've been through, don't you think it's time I had a little bit of happy ever after? The words sent a shudder through me, blissfully ignorant of the fears of his older self. The young me placed his hand on the young Ifdeck's shoulders and smiled again. What you say? Happy ever after. Sounds good to me, Mr Marcus. Oh, cruel, cruel fools, I whispered. But in that moment, the music returned, swallowed my words and snapped me up again. Fast, Clashing and banging of drums, tambourines and pianos shook me hard, taking control of mood as well as movement, sending me whizzing and mid-air marching fast past alcoves and grottos, through corridors and stairwells, up to the temple again, and its smoke and shadowed offerings and blessings, dizzying me, and sending blood pumping through the meat and muscle, veins and capillaries that made up the body of me. Drum rolled me out of the temple and into the daylight of a softer, if still, shivering temple.
Thanks for listening to the latest chapter of Marcus Marcus and the Hurting Heart. Be sure to tell all your friends, family and ancient enemies about the story. If you like it, rate it, review it, pass on the word and subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Player or your favourite podcast app. Drop me a line on Twitter at HaveringRab. If you want to know more about what I do, check out my website, rabfultonstories.weebly.com.